Mollywood, author of The Buzz Report. And I know this is the part where you're expecting to hear Tom start talking, but he is out today. He is on his way to Texas as part of the CNET 10-year tour, which I don't know if you've heard about this, but um, we are touring 10 cities as part of our 10-year anniversary. And in each city, we are having a trade-up event where you can bring in kind of old technology and trade it in and maybe get money if it's worth anything for new gear, which is very exciting. You should note that we've gotten a couple emails about this. Uh, the trade-up people are not taking CRT monitors. I mean, they'll take them and recycle them for you, and any gadget that you have that does not have a value will be safely recycled for you on the spot, which is great. I guess it won't be recycled on the spot, but you can put it in a big box and we'll take it and recycle it. But most of those CRT monitors do not carry a value. So I know that people have been packing them into trucks and bringing them down and expecting to get 20 or 30 bucks for them, but unfortunately, because they're so hard to recycle and deal with, they're not... You won't get money for them, but you can bring them and get rid of them in it. That's great. And I also want to bring up actually on that point, we got an email um, from someone that I thought was really interesting in response to our discussion of Hurricane Katrina, where um, he said he wanted to know what technology companies were doing to help people affected by Hurricane Katrina. He sent us a note, uh, a link to iolo.com, which is um, apparently sending some of its proceeds to help victims of the hurricane. And I wanted to mention um, in a little somewhat shameless plug for CNET, but something I'm really happy to hear, which is that at our upcoming trade-up events in Texas and Atlanta both, we will be donating some pro- proceeds from our um, recycling take, basically, our, our gadget trade-in take, to schools that have been affected by the hurricane. So I will keep you posted on anything else that I hear about that CNET's doing, and certainly we have links to the Red Cross on the front door, so... If you haven't donated, do so. In other news today, the Apple rumor watch continues. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you to Veronica, who alerted me to the newest Think Secret exclusive, which says that Apple will um, uh, focus its event mainly on the iTunes phone. But that sounds kind of lame. So I'm going to talk about the other news in the Think Secret story, <laughs> which is that they'll be upgrading both the iPod mini and iPod shuffle lines, although probably not at that event. Uh, but you can expect iPod Mini to move 100% to flash solid-state media. They say it'll be 20 to 25% smaller, and unlike most flash players you're used to hearing about, which are 128 gig megs or 512 megs or 1 gig, they will come in 4 gigabyte, 6 gigabyte, and 8 gigabyte models. The 8 gig version will be 299 because... It seems that almost every new Apple product at some point costs two ninety nine. <laughs> anyway, uh, there will also be a two gigabyte shuffle, according to Think Secret, which um, will retail f- somewhere between one twenty nine and one forty nine. While the five twelve meg shuffle is expected to fall as low as sixty nine dollars. No word on whether the shuffle will be getting a screen. <laughs> um, anyway, the media event apparently. More on the iTunes-enabled Motorola phone, which almost seems to be a certainty at this point. Every rumor comes down to the iTunes phone. And it sounds like it'll focus on their partnership with Singular, the carrier for the new phone. And um, the phone, you know, we've been hearing these kind of rumors that it might be pretty small and, I don't know, kind of let down. And so this, the Think Secret story certainly makes it sound like it's a bit of a loser, that it will be available in 256 or 512 megs so it can hold between 70 and 140 songs, which isn't that big a deal. The capacity is not really the problem here because people have certainly been buying flash players for a long time that can hold between 70 and 140 songs. What sounds kind of lame is that you won't be able to plug your phone into your computer to um, get at your iTunes music library, 
you'll have to buy songs on the Flyover Singulars Network, and they'll probably cost $2 a song. <laughs> Which, Veronica's now shaking her head. That's ridiculous. And it is. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I cannot understand, if indeed this turns out to be true, I cannot understand why Singular thinks that someone would choose an iTunes phone, which would require you to download songs at $2 a pop, over an iPod Shuffle, which could maybe hold about the same amount of songs or more, and would let you plug your your phone your and would plug into your computer and you could get songs for ninety nine cents from iTunes or less from all of MP three or you know rip your own CDs right to it. You can't rip your CDs to your iTunes phone. This thing is DOA, DOA. All right, so that's the Apple rumor watch for today. Speaking of Apple, however, it has happened. Creative has accused Apple of violating its brand new patent on software interface technology. Actually, maybe this is why they're going for the iTunes phone, (laughs) because they apparently blew it in the patent department. Um, Creative is saying that it will consider every option available to defend its patent, including possible legal action. So as of now, they certainly have not filed suit that we know of, but they are putting it out there. They're letting it be known that Apple is violating their patents and that they are very vigorous in defending their patent portfolio. (laughs) And that they will be, this I thought was interesting, actually, their representative said, they will be focusing on hard drive-based systems rather than less expensive flash memory systems because presumably they can, I mean, they say it's because those flash memory systems typically sport a bare-bones navigation system and so they probably would not violate the patent, which involves clicking through three screens to get to a song. Which, frankly... This is kind of a dumb way to get to a song. So if Apple changed that, that might be fine. <laughs> Don't pay them. Just fix it. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. I'm, I have to say that I'm always disappointed to see a, a competitive, the competitive arena descend to the area of patents because it seems like you should, as a business person, be better than that. I don't know why I have this art of war mentality about business, but it seems like enforcing your patent in order to defeat your opponent is... Oh, kind of lame. Moving on to something else kind of lame. It's Molly Bash's technology <laughs> while Tom is gone day. <laughs> Blu-ray. Blu-ray developments. I saw this story on Engadget, and this is pretty interesting. They um, noted from a Reuters story about Blu-ray. Now, if you don't know what Blu-ray, Blu-ray is, it is one of the competing mega storage defi- uh, new DVD standards. So there's Blu-ray and HD DVD, and we're all spoiling for an ugly, ugly format war about what we'll be using to record high-definition television in the future. Blu-ray apparently has been chosen by Hollywood as kind of their preferred standard because they introduced all this strict anti-piracy technology, which, among other things, will require you to get a new DVD player. So to me, Blu-ray is already the loser. However, the latest news, and Gadget um, astutely spotted this paragraph in the Reuters story, which said that consumers could expect punishment if they hack their Blu-ray players because the Blu-ray players will be network connected and will actually snitch (laughs) if you hack your player for any reason. And so, for example, if you were to try to remove regional coding so that you could watch your great, you know, Japanese DVDs in the original language and the original aspect ratio and whatever, all the reasons that film buffs do that, um, your DVD player will tell on you and you will get in trouble. It will narc. (laughs) It will rat you out. Uh, Presumably, you could get around that maybe by not plugging it into the internet, but if 
anti-piracy technology is indeed that strict, then they maybe have figured that out already and it won't work unless it's plugged into the internet. The thing that's so disturbing about this is that um, the Andy Setos, president of engineering at 20th Century Fox, defined a hacked DVD player as, quote, any player that is doing something it's not supposed to do. <laughs> Which, I'll let that sink in for a minute. Any player that's doing something, anything, that it's not supposed to do, even if that's just, I don't know, displaying the time in Taiwan as opposed to displaying that. I mean, it opens it up to some pretty scary possibilities. Like, what, what is your DVD player going to consider a hack? <laughs> and will you be able to reason with it in any way? <laughs> So as you know, I've said before that I think this whole Blu-ray versus HD DVD thing should be moot and that we should move away from DVD storage formats in the first place. But as this goes forward, I I'm thinking that HD DVD looks like the more consumer-friendly standard. So only time will tell whether they follow suit in their plans to restrict fair use and create a snitchy little rat face DVD player. Narc <laughs> Narc yeah. Narc box. Oh! <gasps> Narc Box. Props to Mark Larkin, our executive producer, who has just come up with a new name for the Blu-ray DVD player. <laughs> Everyone henceforth referred to it as the Narc Box. Labor Day is on Monday. Today is Friday, by the way, September 2nd. And Labor Day is Monday, and it also marks the 10th birthday of eBay. eBay. 10 years old. Just like CNET. Um, a lot of us are 10 years old, actually. We all. <laughs> Apparently, there was a little idea boom in Silicon Valley about 10 years ago. Uh, News.com has a kind of interesting story about eBay's 10-year anniversary. And they're saying that it's great because it's allowed collectors to buy a bunch of junk stuff, items, that they never thought they would find because eBay has everything. But that it has sort of damaged the little market for traditional antiquing and the curio culture, it's called. Because apparently people used to really love to go to these flea markets and, and shows and, and antique roadshow kind of things. Veronica, you have a comment? Yeah, my dad actually is in the antique business and he sells everything. He's a wholesale antiquer. Ah. He sells everything on eBay. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of dealers, I think, have had to, uh, they've, they've had to move to eBay. I mean, it's absolutely changed the economy for kind of old goods. But what I wonder, actually, in response to this is whether it has changed the economy for new goods. Like, I wonder how much companies take eBay into account now when they create products. Like, do they deliberately create fewer products knowing that there will be a big eBay market? Do they maybe say, you know, we're, we're positioning this as a collectible? Like, obviously, companies have always done that. But I, I would be interested to know in some sort of non, completely non-scientific manner what what impact eBay has had on all kinds of economics, not just sort of the flea market antiquing. Any eBay list, uh, users should let yes. us know what they Please. think. Please email us at buzz at cnet.com if you think that eBay has completely changed the way we do business in America or if you think that uh, you never understood why people buy some of the weird things they buy on eBay. My, my personal feeling about eBay actually is that it's a great place to sell things and you should never, ever, ever buy anything because people <laughs> bid too much. I mean, and I know that as someone who sells things on eBay, that I make way more money on my stuff than I should. <laughs> and I'm not doing anything sneaky. <laughs> I'm just copying the really successful listings. And I know that people don't have to pay as much for, you know, our used Trio 600 as they do. So that is why for the most part, I don't actually buy things on eBay. Uh, next item of business, that DVD, John... You guys know DVD John. He's the uh, legendary hacker who has 
cracked the iTunes DRM. And originally, he, he became famous because he basically created a utility that would let him play DVDs on his Linux PC. And um, the, <laughs> the MPAA argued that he basically, it was the DC, DCSS, DCSS tool that helped you crack DVD encryption. And they argued that he violated the DMCA, but he was found um, innocent. They said he had not broken the law. Anyway, he has struck, stricken, he struck again. He's reverse engineered a proprietary algorithm in Windows Media Player that will let you uh, play it, use the player on non-Windows platforms. It will let you stream Windows Media content to non-Windows platforms. So time will tell what Microsoft has to say about this. In other email news... Uh, speaking of Microsoft, actually, we got an email from Foofy. I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. Who reminds us that Microsoft actually has a site in which they say the next version of Office will use will be based on XML and zip uh, an XML and zip based file format that is open, royalty free, and fully documented. And so, apparently, the state of Massachusetts doesn't have to switch to Open Office because Microsoft's going to be totally open, dudes. It's going to be fine. Anyway, <laughs> the Foofy speculates that um, that fact will all but kill the open document format that OpenOffice and StarOffice now use. It's interesting because Tom has frequently accused me of saying things like, it'll kill blah, 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 open source thing, it'll kill blah, blah, blah. But you can't kill it because it's not a business. It's just <laughs> open source. <laughs> so Foofy, I respectfully disagree. I have a feeling that the open document format used by OpenOffice and StarOffice and anti-Microsoft folks everywhere will survive. But I appreciate this email because I, I do remember seeing that announcement back in June and I had forgotten that indeed they will be supposedly open. We'll see. We'll see how open they really are. Uh, so if you have questions for me or Tom, he'll be back. He'll be back on Tuesday. And just so you know, there will be no Labor Day podcast. You will have to wait for us. Email us at buzz.cnet.com, buzz at cnet.com. Buzz.cnet.com is a whole different thing, which I urge you to visit. <laughs> and uh, Or give us a call, 1-800-616-CNET, 2638-CNET. Call us. See you later. Bye.